The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 103, School Sports with Nick DeForest. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle, what's up? Benjamin, how you doing, buddy? I am good. Hey, it's another episode of the Beer EDU Pod. This is episode 103. I am Ben Dixon, if you don't know who I am, and I'm at B Dixon and B on Twitter and Instagram, and you, my friend. I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same with the Instagram. I have a blog, AndersonEdTech.net, where you can read about different things I put out there. And then I have my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures to Risk-Taking, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through my publisher, EduMatch Publishing, that's out there as well. And because this is the Beer EDU podcast, we like to talk about Two of our favorite yes. things, education and then beer, and then we always drink a beer while we are doing that. So, Ben, what do you have today? <laughs> so, I have – I have. we were laughing about this beer. I have Montucky Cold Snack. So, it is um, a lager. Um, it is the brewery out of Montana, 4.1% ABV, no IBUs, just a standard lager. Um, I believe, Kyle, you at one point called it fancy PBR, um, yes. which I would agree with. Um yeah, it's just, it's almost like I want to say it's just beer. It should just be a generic can that says beer. Yeah, so like whenever you're watching like a TV show and they yep. don't have uh, any labels on the cans yep. or whatever because they don't want to pay for the licensing fee or yep. whatever. So, and they, yeah, they have that white like background and then in black block letters it just says beer or something right. like that. Yeah, that would be a very generic way of describing Montucky. And, Yes. But it is definitely not like that with their artwork. Their artwork is on point. Yeah, it is kind of cool. I yeah, they've got that. like this Pegasus or something like that. Uh, and, and then there's a it's rainbow. It's a horse or it's not a horse. Like, at first I thought it was a unicorn. but right. I think And that's why I said Pegasus because I feel like there may be wings on that horse. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like at one point there was maybe and now I looked at the can. I don't know because when I first saw it, I was like, I actually thought it was um, – I thought it was like a like one of those um, I don't know like a um, like Zima like a newer version of those you know what I mean yeah. like whatever that is like a, I'm surprised yeah. Zima hasn't made a comeback with this like hard yeah. seltzer uh, craze yeah that's, that's it I thought that it was really something like take off yeah I thought it was something like that that's why I've never bought it but then I don't know we were talking about it so you 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 hooked me up on that so but you uh, you went with something a little more. Uh, a little more normal for maybe our show. What we yeah, I would I would agree with that. So yes, I've got Tanea Creek, local Las Vegas brewery, my favorite brewery yep. in Las Vegas. They, you know, they have been going there for years, and uh, I have their Gypsy Fade IPA, just a straight nice. up standard American IPA, six percent ABV, fifty nine IBU. Uh, the hop combination that they use gives it a nice citrusy and a little bit of earthiness too, and then it's right. super dry. So I mean, oh. a lot of IPAs are dry. This one is one of the drier IPAs that you can okay. get, in my opinion. So, uh, but it's really good. It's good stuff, and um, it's one of their flagships. So it's always there. It's not like okay. a rotating one. So right. if you happen to go to Tanea Creek, you're going to see it on tap. And then I know stores in the Las Vegas area, you can get six packs of it. Uh, they yeah. do distribute throughout the West. So, yep. I mean, if you're listening from, say, northern Nevada or California, mm -hmm. there's a small chance that at a bigger liquor store, yeah. you might be able to find it. Yeah, I've seen it up here. So, yeah, you can get it up here for sure. So, hey, and so we've got our beers, but we also have a guest. So we got to welcome Nick DeForest to the show. But And Nick is joining us from, I don't know, this might be the most international. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vienna, Austria. I'm joining you from. So uh, nighttime or five o'clock at night uh, from yep. here. And guys, thanks for having me on with you. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So I know when uh, it came through on the forum that you were interested in coming on the show, I said to Ben, I'm like, we got someone from Vienna, Austria coming on. So <laughs> logistics of this are going to be a little bit trickier because now we got to figure out times. And yeah, I believe it's nine hours different because right now it's a little after 8 a.m., where Ben and I are at, so five o'clock for you. So um, 
you know, we, we talked about this on episode 100 about how we don't always actually drink the beers when we're recording. And this is one of those days that, well, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. We're not, Ben and I aren't actually drinking. It's kind of early. It's early where we're at. So, um, my gypsy fade was actually when I went to the Golden Knights game a couple of nights ago. So, and then Ben, I'm not sure where you had yours, but uh, but Nick, you are actually drinking your it's beer right now. Because it's five. Five. Yes, the only the only one I guess with the actual beer in my glass today, which is yep. which is appropriate. It's time appropriate. So, um, <laughs> yeah. and what is that beer? So we were talking about this beforehand, and. Um, we, we joked, we're like, okay, what glorious Austrian beer do you have that we're not yes. going to be able to get a hold of? So tell us a little bit about that beer. Yes. Well, I went with um, a kind of a normal company, one of the big Austrian ones, but nothing really fancy. It's called mm-hmm. uh, Oda Kringer, and it's one of theirs called a Vienna Original. And that's okay. one of the bigger breweries uh, in Austria, but still family run. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not these big, massive things here. They're still pretty small. And the name is a district in Vienna. So the factory and everything is in in Vienna and has been since 1830. Wow. Yeah, it's um, it's nice. It's uh, a bit amber, but it's you know, it's not a it's not a dark beer, um, but, you know, full bodied and, um, you know, just gives a little bit more flavor. You know, you've, it's almost like a meal in a glass. You know, it's not it's not uh, it's not like a like a light lager. It's a bit bit of body. Yeah, I was doing the research on it after you told us what you had in a Vienna-style lager. And uh, for comparison's sake, a lot of Mexican breweries do a Vienna style because you had so many German and Austrian immigrants to Mexico in the late 1800s. So they brew a lot of styles. So like a a Negra Modelo would be a similar style. So now obviously I can't make any comparisons on taste or anything like that. But I do enjoy a Negra Modelo and Vienna-style lager. So I'm sure I would highly enjoy this one too. So... But we do our big box stores. You get a nice foreign beer yeah. section. So maybe this one would be, a, especially if you said it's one of the bigger breweries in yeah. Austria, it might possibly be available here in the States then. I think the other one, the other big Austrian beer is called Stiegel, um, S-T, Stiegel. And that's, uh, you can find that at least all through Canada. So uh, I, I, I want to say that I've seen that one. I know yeah, I've least, seen that one. Yeah. Uh, you can buy that because um, I like the Rattler that they make, the grapefruit yeah, exactly. one. And yep. they, you can get those at like Total Wine here. And then some of the restaurants where you get those restaurants that have their shtick is they have like 500 different beers, whether it's a tap or bottle or can or whatever. I've had those at restaurants like that before. So, yeah, I definitely know that brewery is available in the States. And that you mentioned the Rattler. That was something that like – blew my mind when I came here, you know, way back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a nice drink in the, you know, in the summer when it's hot, right. you know, it, Rodler is, is some as a bike rider. So it was mm-hmm. like marketed as a, a drink for after you do sports. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah I believe nice. we covered the Rattler style on an episode once and, you know, just like on the surface, just absolute basic, basically beer and lemonade. Almost, you know, and, you know, so or Shandy, very, very similar or whatever. And you you wouldn't think that that doesn't sound that great. But then you're right. You get it. And you're like, oh, wait, this is really good. That was my go to in Munich. That was like the perfect one. You know, that mix is amazing. So, Nick, you said that you moved to Vienna back in 2000. So now you've been there 20 plus years. So. Let's rewind a little bit and learn a little bit more about you, like where you're originally from, what took you to Vienna, what you do in Vienna now in education. So give us yeah. the Nick DeForest story. Sure, sure. Yeah, so just from above the border, St. Catharines, Ontario. It's right beside Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. And I was a, a big baseball player and played baseball my whole life. Played hockey too, of course. Uh, but then I... I went across the border and played at a junior college in Buffalo, Erie Community. And after two years there, uh, I was looking to go to Niagara. So play Division One ball. But then a coach came to me and said, hey, they need a coach in Vienna, Austria. Do you want to go over there for a year? And, of course, uh, there's baseball in Europe. You know, I had no idea. <laughs> and I thought, hey, two more years in Western New York or maybe, you know, go see a bit of the world. So. Um, yeah, I went for one year 
to two to whatever, 2021 20, now. Um, <laughs> I came back in between. I finished my university degree um, and then I got my teacher's degree. And then mm-hmm. 2003, I came back here to stay and got hooked up with an international school that's, that's here in Vienna, American International School. And yeah, I've been working there ever since and you know, just loving life. Now I'm, well, I guess I'm an Austrian now, Austrian wife and two kids and going, going nowhere. Nice. So, so when you went over to, so when you went over to Austria, were you coaching like college? Like it was, that was, do they have pro semi-pro? What, what's it like? It's like a semi-pro league. I mean, okay. they they really work hard uh, and, really try to make it professional. The players are out, you know, four or five times a week. Uh, But usually the only person that gets paid is the coach. So I was a player coach and and got paid. And um, yeah, a lot of players can play college ball. Mm -hmm. Um, No Austrians ever played in the pros. Um, But there's there's been a few Division I players, Division II players. Mm -hmm. So, but um, yeah, it's pretty, it's, you know, a national league. So we're going eight hours to the west of Austria for games. And uh, yeah, it's it's really well run, and um, it was great. It was great to come to a new country and immediately meet so many people. You know, I was in a mm-hmm. club, and you have all the people in the club, and you're you're the go-to guy. You know, so everyone wants to get to know you and you know see what you're like. So you have all these friends immediately. So it wasn't like I don't know a lot of international teachers. Uh, they go abroad by themselves and maybe struggle mm-hmm. because they're alone in a new place. Or I had all these locals wanting to show me around and yeah it was it was great um the school you know getting into the school and you asked what i do now is i'm basically an athletic director okay we work in an office of uh, five of us and we organize all everything outside the curriculum at our school Uh, athletics activities uh the school buses um right now covid covid management uh three of my colleagues uh do that basically full-time unfortunately but wow. Yeah. So are you guys back? Are you are kids in person? Are you remote? What's it look like there? We um we've been going back and forth all year, unfortunately. So it's hard to it's pretty frustrating, even though we're lucky that we have been in person. Um right now we're hybrid. So half the kids are in half the week right. and the other half. But in a week and a half, we're all coming back. So, wow. Yeah. So so but then we- oh, Along with that, are you able to play sports? We couldn't since November. Uh, we were pretty normal till November. And then we've just started a few weeks ago, but we can't play games. So I've developed a sports skills program um, when we try to offer every sport. Can't have groups bigger than 10. Um, so, you know, I'm out there with softball players and we're playing catch and we're hitting some BP and then and then that's it. But, but hopefully after the 17th, we can, I don't know, play a bit more. Um, but our schools, the sports at our schools, we do a lot of traveling international because there may not be another international school like ours in the whole country. So we're often flying or taking a train. And, uh, of course, that's been shut down the whole year. So we haven't been able to do anything really normal um, since last year. And it's nice with uh, Europe. It's it's like the United States or Canada where, but instead of the provinces or the states, they're countries. So, I mean, a two hour drive, you could go through a couple different countries like you would states here in the United States. So, um, yeah. Mike, one of my questions early on was, do you travel to other places to play in other countries or whatever? And then when you were playing your baseball, were you traveling to other nations as well as part of that? Uh, yeah, with the school more so. Like I said, the international schools are kind of spread out in, in all the different countries. Um, so we're, yeah, I've, I've, I think been to every European country, maybe, maybe missing one or two. Um, wow. for school. Baseball, not so much. Uh, like I said, it's a national league, um, but I did mm-hmm. coach with the Austrian national team. So there was European championships in different countries and got to travel. Oh, wow. that. But yeah, you know, right around Austria, um, it's amazing. There's so many countries all around mm-hmm. us, you know, I can go in one hour drive, you know, I can, Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovakia, um, they're all right there. And then, you know, even more so Italy and Germany and mm-hmm. yeah, it goes on. That's it. Yeah, that was my experience is that we took a train from Italy to Germany. So I went through the <laughs> Austria. That's about, I, I think we stopped there to have our passports checked. So 
but I want to go back. It looked beautiful. So it's, how many um, kids? Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it never gets old. Um, yeah. Vienna. So I always thought, <laughs> okay, when, you know, when's it going to be boring or when am I going to see everything? And uh, it just, there's just so many cool things. It never, never gets old. Oh uh, yeah. It, it was, it definitely was a place that as soon as all this travel restrictions were going back, my daughter, my daughter did a, uh, lived in Italy for a while for a study abroad. So we got to go. So, so back to your school. So how many, how many kids in your school? What's the makeup of your school? Yeah, we are just under 800 and that's from pre-K to grade 12. It's all in, all in one building. Um, this was pretty cool, pretty uh, nice dynamics when you have all these different ages. And we're about 20% Austrian, say 20% American. And then the rest is just across the board, across the world, you know, people from everywhere. Um, and it's a, a really nice it, private school, right? The people pay, but a really nice mix of people that are just normal people like, like us that maybe have been posted overseas for, for two years. You know, it's not all rich, um, you know, parents and kids. It's a, it's a really nice mix of, of that. So it's not a, a private school atmosphere. You know, it's a really homey, nice community. And there's lots of teachers that have their kids at school. So my two daughters go to, go to our school and, and there's so many um, teacher kids. It's, it's really nice. It's like a yeah, nice community to be in. So with the students that are there, you mentioned the parents, you know, being posted there. So are a lot of the parents like diplomats, ambassadors, uh, military, is that, is that kind of the, the makeup of the families at your school then? Yeah, that, that's it exactly for, for us. You know, there's Vienna's, uh, has a United Nations. So there's lots of international families coming to work at the UN uh, or American embassy. Of course, that's our school was started from the American embassy uh, after okay. World War II. So any family that works there, their kids, you know, have to come to our school. Um, yeah, and that's it. Like international schools around the world, you know, there's schools like ours in every main city, and it's just with all the international companies. Um, a normal post is maybe two to three years, so you do get a lot of changeover. So that's could be really good, <laughs> you know. A family comes in that you, you know, hey, we'll only have them here for a few years, um, but for the most part, it's uh, it's unfortunate to see these kids you know, that you've put so much energy into, you know, right. in the classroom and, or on the field, wherever, and then, then they go to their next school. So, so what's the mix? So then those are the kids, like, what's the makeup of your staff? Like, is it all Americans? Is it Canadian? Like, like, or is it international? It's, it's pretty international, but um, U.S. And, and Canadian, like native English speakers are the most, but okay. we, we have lots of other people from other countries as well. But, you know, there's, you know, yeah, Americans are the most definitely a few Canadians, few Brits, few Australians, um, but then you know people from Eastern Europe, Austrians, of course. I mean, we uh, we teach German too, so all the kids okay. have to uh, take a German class um, depending on their level. So we have a lot of local hires, and okay. yeah, it's it is also a nice um, a nice mix. Yeah, in the in the teaching staff. That, and now is my next question is like, what is your curriculum? Is it, is it, it's taught in English and then kids take, take a foreign language similar to what they would do here or in a, you know, Canada. Yeah. And, and we have the, the IB, the international uh -huh. bachelorette. So we, yep. Yeah. We work towards that. And it, these, the schools are really geared to have people move in and out and then continue their education at a, either another international school or back in the U S. Okay. So it's, um, you know, it's not always the, uh, a seamless transition, but right. that's what we, so we have an American curriculum with the IB, mm -hmm. right. so kids can move back and forth. And, and that's the appeal for the locals that maybe want to study abroad then after and, and not stay in right. Austria. So that's why a local uh, student would come to our school. Mm. So what does that look like in comparison to more of the local schools for the local Austrians? Are the schools very similar or does Austria have like a completely different system compared to the American model? It's uh, completely different. And my wife's Austrian. So she always, she'll come with like, why do you guys do that? I'm like, well, I don't know. That's what I did when I was a kid. That's just how it is. Um, but no, the, yeah, those are with the school day. Um, we, you know, we're full days, like, I don't know, eight till three and Austrian and mm -hmm. most of the countries around here, they change, uh, especially mm -hmm. for the younger kids, maybe only go till lunch. Mm -hmm. 
we get a lot more homework than than they do. Uh, they seem to wrap it all up in the in the school day. So the idea of homework is is a lot is a bit foreign to them. Right. Um, but what we teach, and you know, that's that's the same. You know, the the X's and O's are and it's just, it's logistical stuff. That's the difference, right? We get a lot of um, kids come over at uh, different years. So in eighth grade, a lot of Austrians will come to our school because that's a changeover at the Austrian school. So then they'll come and do their high school career with us. Okay. And that kind of speaks to what you were talking about. So they have that opportunity to be with you, learn maybe through the IB program, and then they could move to the U.S. or someplace to do this, like for their last two years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, so, it's big. Yeah, oh, it's go ahead. Big. I'm sorry. No, it's. Uh, I was say it's. It's big for them to want to go not just the U.S. but the U.K. You know, to an English. Uh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So now, obviously, in the United States and Canada, extracurricular activities, especially sports, are a really big part of the school experience. I mean, you've got school teams, and I mean, even in elementary school, depending on where right. you're at, but especially middle school and high school. So. Now, I know your school, being an international school, sports is going to be built into that a little bit. So is sports really a big part of schooling in Austria and other European countries, too? Or is that something else that they kind of look at? Why do you have sports lined up with school? Yeah, they are confused about that for sure when they come in. Um, Europe is all about club sports and these national leagues. Like I said about baseball, you can find a national league for every sport in every country you know it may not be you know very professional or, or not but they're it's just club sports and and year-round participation so they don't get the multi-sport participation um for fear maybe of losing people you know they get a soccer player and you signed up for that club we got to right. keep you engaged with soccer all year or maybe you switch to volleyball and never come back right so it's it's frustrating um, for the locals because they want to, Hey, why don't you offer soccer all year long? Why don't you offer this all year long? Now we have, you know, we have three seasons. It's good to play other sports. You don't need to specialize. Um, But yeah, that's a big difference, but also, you know, really a a selling point, right? Like, Hey, you come to our school, your kids can play, you know, we're not very big so they can play on every team they, you know, that they want to play on and um, a bit of an alternative, you know, like, but right. there's not a very good soccer culture here. You know, the, I, I do like soccer, but you know, the, the rolling around, the arguing with the refs and, and that kind of thing, it, you know, it's, it starts at a young age, right? So yes. there's a lot, of, a lot of parents that enjoy having their kids play other sports than soccer. Right. Yeah. And I can, I can imagine that the, the, the push, especially like, let's say soccer or anything that's such a hugely European sport, their kids, that's all they'll do. And then those kids that might be, you know, want to try it and maybe aren't going to be able to come off, you know, and start on a club team, this gives them an opportunity. So then do you, I know you said you guys travel to play other international schools. Do you ever play like the local schools also or local clubs? I should say. Yeah. Yeah, we do. But it's, um, it's hit and miss from the sport because for soccer, for example, they're just, you know, so much better than us that, you know, we can't compete, right? For basketball, for example, we play tons of Austrian basketball clubs because mm-hmm. um, we can we can get their level. Uh, baseball, we have a baseball team. We play the local baseball clubs. It's hit and miss um, for sports, and that's almost every international school, I would say. There, there'll be local clubs that they p- can play against um, because it's equal, and they it's um, it's beneficial, right? It's not beneficial. You're going to play a local soccer club, and they're just going to come in and you know destroy us they don't want to play right but yeah the seasons we'll get calls you know in in november hey do you want to play soccer in a month against us we have a hole in our schedule it's like no we're our soccer season ends in november we're on to basketball now and that's just like it's mind-blowing for some (laughs) but yeah yeah it's um you know that multi-sport participation is one thing that we try to echo and that's very similar to schools in the US and and this educational based athletics, right? Is, you know, really trying to teach the kids something, you know, we're not just playing sports. It's not the X's and O's, you know, we don't have kids going to play in university. None of our kids are really 
none. I mean, there's a could be a few, but generally none of our kids want to go play, you know, D1 basketball in the States, right? They want to go to a good university and, um, and play some sports for fun. So it's, right. it's a good mix, I think, without the, you know, the parents in the background. You know, we don't, that's one definite positive of international <laughs> school sports is, right. you know, you don't have that parent over over your shoulder you know why didn't you play we need to we need to get more innings so we can you know yep go to school and- well and, and that's it's interesting you say that because that i think that's a thing because and i and i know growing up all of us growing up in north america everybody you played like i played baseball there was that baseball season then i played soccer like you guys played hockey whatever yeah. like i see more kids especially like so as a in my own school where i'm a, a, a kindergarten through fifth grade but i have kids that play on club baseball teams and they travel and then they're like traveling all over and so i think that is a newer thing here in the u.s where we're we're it's almost like we're moving to these club teams for these kids and i know i just know for a fact that like uh, i we had a friend whose daughter played d1 she mm-hmm. she played softball and she played on the local high school team but the only way she was going to get a scholarship was to play on a travel te- on a club team yeah. It's just, it seems like that's the way it's moved for certain sports. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. We have, and we'll have kids come in, you know, they'll move in and they'll be here one day and they'll come in the office and they'll say, Hey, where can I, you know, what basketball club can I play on? Cause I played, mm-hmm. you know, ABA basketball my whole you right. know, last five years. And, and they have that. And we, we do have kids go and play club, um, mm-hmm. but we want to make sure they play on the school team too. And right. Around, but that's one good thing about, Vienna is most people speak speak English and there's just a lot of English around, you know, it's a highly educated um, city. Um, It's not the case, you know, everywhere, you know, all the countries you go to may not be so, so easy to get around as a foreigner. Yeah. Yeah, That culture with the sports, uh, because I grew up playing football, basketball and baseball. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, so year round I was doing something different depending on the season and then when I got older, now I obviously don't play those sports anymore, but I do play hockey now because I grew up on the pond next to my house and I never played organized hockey. And then when I was 30 years old, I started playing hockey. So now I play that and it's and it's a lot of fun. But I I look at kids now where you get a kid that's a really good football player or whatever, and now that's all they're doing. And I just was always under that mindset that tr- doing different stuff I necessarily wasn't a great basketball player, but I still played because it it got me away from the rough and tumble of football for a few months, and I got to stay in shape at the same time because, you know, just the cardio aspect to it. So I just see – and I see this a lot because I I watch a lot of hockey and I read a lot of hockey, and you you see these kids that are just absolute prodigies at the age of 11, 12 years old, and then you fast forward six, seven years, and they're nowhere to be found because they get completely burnt out because mm-hmm. it's just shoved down their throat over and over and over again. D- does it look like that in the European model, or is it just more like there's just not the pressure like there is in the States and Canada? No, there the definitely is. Um, but it's confusing a bit to me because they want to play in that national team, you know? So hockey, for example, the kids that play hockey in, in Vienna, they work so hard and they're on the ice so much, but they don't have that like college scholar. They're not working for a college scholarship. You know, they're working to, to be the best player they can be and maybe play in the, in that national league, um, which is great. So it's not, it's not the pressure to get a scholarship and get free education. Um, so I think they do it because they want to, yeah, there'll be kids that burn out, but I really don't see too many parents pushing the kids um, for that. Yeah. Token free education, you know, actually university education is free here. Um, so I don't know it's just a, a different kind of motivator. So yeah, kids are going to get burned out when they stop and they're not that good. Um, but at least they're, I don't know, I think for the most part, they're deciding it themselves, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of kids I, I see still where they'll, they'll play football in the fall and then, you know, come spring, they're running track because again, that's just a great way to stay in shape or whatever. <laughs> but I just, I don't see the kids playing three, four sports as much as it was. Um, I, I assume you and I are probably about the same age, you know, based on what you were saying when, when you were in university and whatever. I graduated from college in 2005. So 
But so our generation and Ben's generation, just kids were playing more sports and, and it was a part of their schooling versus yeah. now where so many right. kids are playing. They'll play for the high school football team. And then once that season's over, then there's some club team that plays throughout the winter and whatnot before they go back into the spring. And I just, you, you see so many kids get hurt and, yep. and then it affects their schooling too, because now the kids like, well, now that it's not football season for the high school, I don't necessarily have to be eligible now because I don't have, I don't have a grade check for right. my, my club team. So now the grades are suffering too. But at the same time though, so many kids, you were able to get them educated and keep their grades up because of the sports though, too. So you get a lot of those kids that like, they know if they don't have their grades up, they can't play football. They can't play basketball or whatever it may be. So that, that was a nice motivator for kids. So um, I, that's the American, that's the Canadian model. So the European model, I'm having a hard time grasping, like what really motivates a kid that may be unmotivated in European schools. And, and maybe you may not be able to answer that because you're in the, the international school, but with your wife being a product of the Austrian school system, maybe you have a little insight. Yeah, you're right. There isn't that motivation, right, to, to come to school for that grade. And I, that's one thing I really like about sports is that in school, right, it's, mm-hmm. it's together. It's co- co-curricular, right, not extracurricular. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, locally, it's hard. Um, it's hard because you see a lot of kids just hanging out, right, with shorter days, um, mm-hmm. like I mentioned. And the drinking age in Europe is really young. Like, mm. in Austria, it's 16. So when you can start – so you're always – usually drinking before that anyway right so when you're like 15 and you're maybe mm-hmm. 15, um, that's another reason to not stay in school you know to go hang wow. out or stay out late so you have that um the fact that a lot in a lot of the cities kids live in apartments right with their parents okay. right. Like, right. let's say tighter quarters uh, mm-hmm. so they don't want to be home so they're you know they're out they're right. out more. so we see a lot of kids out uh, it's really tough you really have to be you know I don't want to say come from a, a better family or, but have that family support pushing you to go. Right. Um, it's so many more dropouts and um, yeah, they just, it's even university, you, you're not, you don't have people pushing you to go to class. No, if you don't go to class, there's no one from the university checking, checking on you, mm-hmm. you know, and you can put off exams to another year, like with no oh, real wow. penalty, except that you have to wait another year to take it. Um, so it's, it's you have to be the right kind of person to study here. It's right. um, it's pretty hard. It is wow. it is pretty hard. That is that is way different. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so then you're you have this. You're doing the AD thing, but then you also uh, you have a podcast and some other yeah. stuff going on. You want to share with us what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it's kind of taking <laughs> taking control of my <laughs> of my free time. Um, but yeah, you know, we we started a friend of mine, Matt Fleming, who's in Budapest. We we thought, hey, we should do a podcast because there's nothing out there talking about international school sports. Right. And I mentioned how there may be the only one in the country. You know, you may be the only school in the country, so you can't just go to the staff room and and talk shop with you know another AD, right? And there's some great work in the U.S. The NIAAA. They have, there's a bunch of good podcasts from, from guys there, but not always applicable. So right. last December, we thought, hey, let's do a podcast. Um, if, if just for our benefit, you know, talking about what we do and, and how to do it better. And uh, yeah, we got underway last December and then uh, Corona hit. <laughs> and we had a few episodes under our belt. But then because of that network that we just started, really, we were getting calls and emails from people like, Hey, what what are you going to do now that we're home? Can we do some more, or can you do this? Or, and we started growing this international AD uh, network, and there's you know people all around, and um, we're just we started off with some Zoom calls at the start of the pandemic, and then I thought, well, that that's kind of getting get boring pretty soon. We should do a conference, and so I had a two day conference with nine hours, I think, a day of of sessions, two days in a row, and. Whoa. As we mentioned at the start about the time zone and how it was to hook up with different times. So we have people in South America, you know, in Europe and then in Asia. So to hook up on a regular basis with people, it's all about what time is it. So when do you wake up? When do you go to bed? 
Um, but it just started growing. So we did this conference. It was great. We did another one in the summer and that led to a, a few more opportunities and um, started a show with on um, school rubric called global take, uh, which is a weekly live show. And it's just growing and collaborating um, all across the world. And it's, uh, it's really cool. It's so the pet passion project, you know, I like to uh, connect people and there really wasn't a place um, for people around the world to go 80s to talk shop. So we kind of created this network and uh, it's getting to be bigger and better than just, just a podcast. You know, I don't want to say that because I still love our um, every other week we do a, do an episode. So that's still like the, the heart and soul, but it's uh, expanding. And yeah. Yeah. I never really thought of it like that where, teachers say math teachers they have others that they can talk to in the building i've never thought about the athletic director like yeah who do they talk to so well and he, where i'm at the athletic director position is it's a part-time thing where you're a teacher for you teach three four classes and then the rest of your time is on, on the school schedule it looks like oh why does this person have four preps yeah. but it's because that's their athletic director time and i, I find that to be grotesquely unfair to those people because I mean that is a full-time job where I grew mm -hmm. up the athletic director was an administrator where that that was their full-time yeah. job that's what they did and d depending on the day they may have to do some things like discipline or right. supervision or some other things as well like a like a quote-unquote typical administrator but that was a full-time job and but again there's only that one person in the school so you're right having conversations a little bit tougher so now, where I'm at in Las Vegas, we've got, you know, over 40 high schools. So right, eventually right. Th there's that network. There's that web of people. I'm sure that right. people are talking with and whatnot. And then Nevada, even though we're a huge state, we're very small in regards to population. So right. I know a friend of mine, he was an athletic director for a short time, and he he knew all these people in Reno when I moved right. up to Reno. I was, he goes, oh, yeah, if you ever run into that person, tell them that I said hello or whatever. I'm like, oh, Okay. So, so that's a really cool concept because I never thought of that either as a podcast. I'm like, oh, there's athletic directors podcasts out there. And now not only do you have that going, but you're, you're connecting people from around the world. That's a, that's a really cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, the numbers aren't big, you know, like you mentioned all the, all the high schools around your area. Yeah. And that's one big thing with, you know, if you are in the U S you're an AD and you may have five other schools in your city and they all have an AD, whether part-time or full-time or not, at least you right. can you know, bounce some things off where, you know, the next closest AD is the next country. Um, it's a bit harder, right? I mean, now with Zoom and things like that, it's obviously easier and easier. Uh, but yeah, they, I would say there's about, in my network, about 300 people that I, that wow. I interact with from around, mm -hmm. you know, different countries and, and things. So that may be the same amount of ADs in, in one of the bigger states, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm thinking like, as an AD, like you have different things that come up with, you know, different problems or whatever you want to call it. And like, yeah. like, and I imagine too, that it's different in another country, because we have these, especially with COVID, because that's got to be a whole other kind of like, like, right. we're like up here, we're playing sports. We we had a very shortened football season in the spring. Baseball's going right now that they had basketball, but like where Kyle's at, which is six hours away. They, I don't even, Kyle, have you guys even started playing? The, the spring sports for the most part have had seasons, baseball, softball, volleyball, mm -hmm. uh, but football in, in our area, it, it was essentially just extended spring ball where yeah. at the end they'll have a, have a scrimmage between themselves. Uh, one little carrot they did dangle, a handful of schools got to go play at a Legion stadium, which is the new stadium where the Las Vegas Raiders play. So right. the kids got to go have their scrimmage in an NFL stadium, which I, I'm sure was absolutely phenomenal. I played football through college, and I, I was in D1, so I didn't play in any massive stadiums by any means. But just walking onto a college football field yeah. was a lot of fun. I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to walk onto a stadium yeah. as nice as Allegiant mm -hmm. Stadium because this thing, it, it looks like the Death Star next to the freeway. It is, it is absolutely beautiful, this it stadium. Is, I can't, it is amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to actually go in inside and see it. And it's UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. That's their home stadium now, too. So 
which um, I, I have an excuse now to actually go watch some crappy UNLV football now because they're going to be playing in there. But um, so, but, but yeah, sports where I'm at has been a lot different uh, because of COVID. Uh, but we're really hoping that come fall, we're back to quote unquote normal when it comes to all of that stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we started, I mean, one organization where there's 30 schools in central and Eastern Europe and mm-hmm. And we started to have these meetings like, okay, tell us where you're, where you're at and what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And we stopped. I mean, we stopped our, because it just didn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm in a different country, right. different rules. Like that's interesting, but I have to do what this government is telling me and right. no wiggle room, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and that's, and that's similar to what we have. I mean, like, and, and Nevada's weird because of the way our districts are, we're county districts as opposed to like maybe California or someplace where there's multiple districts within a within a city or a county. But like, like, yeah, we up north, we're the northern part. We've been in school and doing stuff in a modified hybrid. But like where Kyle's at, they just came back. So you're right. It's it's it was almost like you can't really have a discussion because the rules are different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it's unfortunate, right? But um, mm-hmm. just wait, wait it out. Wait it but out. the nice thing about those conversations, whether it's between counties in Nevada or for you between countries and the different rules everybody has to play by, it may be you, you said like, well, I can't do that because of the rules here. What's nice though is that as those rules change, you can draw on other people's experiences yeah. with what they're doing. So. Ben's mentioned a few times, like I, he didn't understand why my district didn't talk to his a little bit more about the hybrid transition, because I mean, without mentioning names or disparaging anything too much, the hybrid situation in my district is an absolute joke. It was one of those deals like when it went into effect in the beginning of April, why are we even going back if this is what it is? Mm -hmm. Because it's just the the kids, you only end up seeing the kids once every two weeks, the ones that shows the back it's yeah it's pretty ridiculous so but more communication whether it's between ad's with how do you execute practices and games or whatever or between districts like what did you do for hybrid so we can try to learn so there needs to be more communication and you would think that after a year of covid and every change that we had to make there would be more communication but we Mm -hmm. see that there's still not in some instances I think that's where the the international um, community is, you know, latched on to the online and the Zooms. There's so many more right. uh, meetings and organizations that popped up that are really trying to link schools together because, you know, you could be in, in one school in Mongolia, right, and have, mm-hmm. have nowhere nowhere to, to talk to. And now this whole world opened up and they mm-hmm. are just using it and sharing resources. And it's just great. It, I mean, it is great. That'll be you know, the future, even when we get back, the, the connections made across um, countries mm-hmm. and schools, you know, to to just improve the, for your students, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that will be the, there will be some good things definitely that came out of this and, and as far as those things. Are you, um, so kind of to the international school, and you might not know, yeah. I mean, are you able to with all this stuff going on, like what's your turnover in teachers? Like, do you recruit teachers to come in? I mean, how's that look, especially now? Yeah, uh, the last two years, um, I definitely not in the HR, but I, I definitely <laughs> know about it from people moving, right. you know, because last year, usually you you know where you're going to go next year. I would okay. say by January, February, the people that do mm-hmm. want to move. So they had, you know, already jobs secured, moving mm-hmm. to another country for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. So right. it was really tough. You know, we had a friend in Peru that was moving to Thailand and he had to stay in Peru, you know, way later than he wanted because he couldn't get a shipment out and get the government documents. Right. Uh, and then had to wait for those before he could start getting the Thai papers sorted. And then oh, moving. Wow. There. So, um, a lot of people lost their jobs. Schools downsized and, and you know, okay. you couldn't. Um, but yeah, that was obviously unique. Right. And in, in a normal year, depending on the school in the city, you could be getting, I don't know, 20% new teachers every year. Wow. Um, The the contracts pretty much across the board are two year contracts to start. So you, but you have those people that are, okay, I want to see as many countries as, as I can. I'm going to go two years there and then move and then keep moving. And you have people that want to, you know, stay a little bit longer, but not retire. 
right? And want to retire mm -hmm. maybe back in the U.S. So mm -hmm. um, it's it's nice. On one side, you get fresh ideas coming in all the time, you know, and new people. Uh, but obviously, we don't really know who you get till they're here and right. how they're going to deal with that country or international life. You know, we've right. we've had people fly back to the U.S. at Christmas, um, mm -hmm. and just I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle being by right. myself. You know, right. one speaks the right um, language, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's changeable, but it it is nice. the The hard part is when the admin change so frequently, right? And you, right. you know, you, you have to explain yourself. New to new things of this country, you know, the mm -hmm. the period at the beginning, um, it can be pretty challenging. You know, we had a new uh, principal and a new director and a new business manager all in one year. You know, so wow. that you know, you know, three of the main leadership right. figures, admin, are all new. So. The conversations at the beginning of the year aren't are totally different, right? They're right. Hey, what do you? How do you do this here? <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, gotta start again. You know, and I'm, I've been at my school 15 years, right? So it it gets pretty frustrating, you know, when you have right. some some long timers, mm -hmm. uh, but they do keep you on your toes, right? You know, why why do you, why do, you do it like this? You know, you can't say because we always did. You know, you mm -hmm. so it's uh it's good and bad, but that's that is a good thing. Anyone, you know, listen to your podcast or, or watching, there is a ton of opportunities to, you know, go international, see a different country. Um, usually you get paid very well. You get, you mm -hmm. know, paid to fly there and, and move over. Um, so mm -hmm. you don't have to pay out of pocket for things like that. And yeah, whether it's, you know, just down to the border, go live in Mexico for two years um, or somewhere, you know, like I said, Thailand or Europe, mm -hmm. so many opportunities. Yeah, ben, I think you and I got something we can do when we retire. So we finish up here in Nevada, and then we can uh, go international. I, my wife and I have already been talking about this. So <laughs> as soon as I retire, that's actually on our – we've talked about, about doing this. So I, well, I, I, The I, nice I, thing I, is that you and I both, when we're retirement age, we're going to be in like our early 50s. It's not like yeah. all of a sudden like, oh, I'm like almost 70. I'm going to pack up and go overseas to continue working. So what I look at – my 30 year mark is I'll be 53 years old and there's no way I'm going to be able to fully retire at that point and, mm -hmm. and live a potentially, you know, 30 to 50 more years after that based on just a retirement account. So mm -hmm. I am going to be working beyond that, whether right. that's retire and then move to another district or because I'm in special education in Nevada, at least in most places, I could retire and then start collecting my pension and then get hired right back in because it's critical needs. So I can yep. basically collect my pension while receiving a full I, paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know a couple of principals. I know a principal that did that. He retired and went back and that principal money and then went back and taught special education. So yeah. So I'd yeah, rather so go to you, Europe. Yeah. So that's <laughs> what I'm thinking is like going, I could do something like that or I could collect my pension and then go teach overseas somewhere mm -hmm. and, you know, make, make good money and gain the experiences of the world right. too, and still be a relatively young man. I mean, again, I mean, I'd be in my fifties at that point. That's not that old. Dude, I'm like one year away from that age. So that's young. We're going to stop right there. Yeah. So, so, well, Ben, I mean, you're like 20 years younger than what you really are anyway, between your mountain biking and skateboarding and, and all that. So you're good. Trying to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. So, I do the same thing. So uh, Ben Ben was really excited. I actually bought a skateboard recently at the age of 39, and I'm learning <laughs> how to skateboard now. And he's like, I can't wait until we can get back together in person. We're going to go to the skate park, and we're going to murder each other, and it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do it's in our, our podcast. Yeah, there it is. That's what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I, you, you mentioned hockey before. I That's what I still play. I play slow pitch, of course, but uh, I was playing – uh, still play hockey. So you got, you gotta, gotta get out, yeah. get active. Yeah. Well, the thing with uh, staying active and playing competitive sports, as you get older, those that are around you, 95% of them, they're just doing it for fun as well. So when I go play hockey, it's literally like if a guy falls down, somebody stops and Hey dude, are you okay? You know, it's not like, Oh, just leave him in the dust or whatever. You get that one jerk that think it's game seven in the Stanley cup finals or something like that, that's just out there to be an absolute yeah. jerk about things. But again, 95% of people, when I'm playing hockey, are cool. It's a lot of fun. And even if you get into a little scuffle during a game, after the game, you go to the bar and you have a beer with that person. 
like, hey, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? <laughs> so. I don't see. I played indoor soccer for a while, and let me tell you, it wasn't like that. I got I got hooked into the wall by a, by a, by one of the one of the college girls that was playing because we played co-ed. I mean, she like <laughs> she like shouldered me into the wall hard. I'm like, what are we doing here? It's a little competitive. <laughs> it depends on the sport, I think. Well, you yeah. said she was she was in college still, so she didn't probably didn't have a family and a job to go to the next day. So yeah. she her cares were a little bit less than yours. That's true. Yeah. That's probably true. And she's like, "Look that's, at this old man thinking he can play." <laughs> that's the line, right? Hey, we all have to go to work tomorrow, right? That's like, true. Take it easy. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Well, Nick, where can uh, people connect with you online and with your podcast and all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, like yours, uh, my podcast is on School Rubric. Um, dot com. So that's one place for sure. But uh, my website is globetrottenads.com. Not trot in, not not ing, globetrottenads.com. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. At Twitter as well. Um, you see it there, Nick underscore AIS Vienna. And uh, yeah, love um, connecting, collaborating with people. A um, lot of AD friends all, uh, all across the U.S. Um, I'm a part of the NIAAA's uh, International Committee. So I go to their national conference every year and then, uh, yeah, love, love hooking up people and, and sharing. Awesome. So, well, thank you yeah, for Nick. taking some time out and us being able to coordinate this uh, deal with yeah. nine hours between us and whatnot. So uh, it's been yes. a pleasure having this conversation. Okay. Yeah, definitely. People check out Nick's stuff. I was like, that's why there was a pause because I was actually looking at his website and there's a bunch of stuff on there. You have conferences, yeah. all kinds of stuff. So yeah, definitely people should check that out. Yeah, it's great. And you know, ADs, like you mentioned, a lot are teachers too, part-time. Right. There's full-time, there's part-time. Um, everyone that works at international schools teaching. So just education in general, you know, that's one, one thing that's not just talking about sports all the time. That's what I like about the podcast. You know, there's deeper things behind the sports. It's education first, uh, educating the whole child. So I love um, when sports and schools can can really, you know, just be on the same page. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for, for being on the show and helping us figure out the time thing. And, and Kyle, what if people want to, you know, what a – how can we keep this conversation going? Yeah, let's keep this conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. Tweet us at beeredupod and then hashtag beeredupod. You can hit us up on Facebook at beeredupodcast. That's all one word. And you can follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash YouTube. Uh, we do live stream our episodes when we record them on Facebook and YouTube. So like our page, subscribe so you can get notified when we're going to do that. Uh, be sure to follow Nick again and Nick underscore AIS Vienna on Twitter. You can send us a voice message using the Anchor app and then leave us a review wherever you listen so more can find the show. And Ben, if you want to be a guest on the show, what do you have to do? Yep. You got to go to our website. So just go to beeredupodcast.com, click on that contact and subscription link. That's that's how we got Nick on. And then just complete that guest form and then you're on. And like, like Nick said, he's a part of the School Rubric Network. We also are. So they're featuring Beeredu Podcast. So that mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, students, tell their stories so stakeholders can make the best choices about enrollment and staffing. And then you go to their website, schoolrubric.com. You can find a ton of great content, lots of great podcasts like Nick's um, and ours on there and check them out. And then also Beer ED podcast is featured on the Codebreaker podcast network. So please check them out. There's a bunch of ed great educational podcasts on there, including Staff Room Podcast, STEM Every Day, Teachers on Fire, My EdTech Life. So just go to them, codebreakeredu.com. And Nick, thanks for being on the show. Stick around because this is the part where Kyle is going to teach us something, which once again, I will go, we didn't talk about this. We've talked about this, but never in depth. Right. So no, um, after that last episode where we were taking a look at the Cascade hops and I mentioned we got to look at Citra hops next, I fell down a rabbit hole of hops and found <laughs> I found a Wikipedia page where it just had a list of all these hop varieties. So we've got topics forever okay. <laughs> now. We're, we're good. So, because again, I've mentioned this before that I would really like to take my 
enjoyment of beer to another level by being able to really start to recognize the hop varieties that are being used and the flavors that come from them. So, so we started with Cascade hops in our last episode and then now Citra hops. So this is the most common used hop variety used by American crappers. Now it actually a few years ago surpassed the Cascade hops. So uh, this one is relatively new. It has only been around really for a few years. Uh, It was created as a crossbreed of several different hop varieties back in 1990. But it really didn't oh, take wow. off. They, you know, tweaking things, the science behind that mm-hmm. cross pollination, whatever. It didn't really become commercially available and viable until 2008. So we're talking less than 15 years wow. that the hop has been around. And it started out where you had a handful of breweries that were funding the testing and the and the research behind mm-hmm. it. But in 2007, this group of breweries looked at it like, you know what, we, we're sinking all this money into it and we don't really see us using these hops, so so we're out. So they backed out. So then Widmer Brothers, Sierra Nevada, and Day Shoots, they swooped okay. and said, okay, you know what? They've already sunk this much money into it. Let's see what else. So they started to fund it and bought the land so they could grow these hops and whatnot. Right. And then they're like, oh, wait, this, this has potential. So Widmer, in 2008, they were the first to start using this hop variety. And then Sierra Nevada and Day Shoots followed. And then over the course of about five years, the growth of this hop and then their use of it really started to take off. And then it, it absolutely exploded after that. And like I said, it is now the most common hop used by American craft brewers. And, and I always, because I, I always thought of Citra hop as like, and it makes sense, Day Shoots, Sierra Nevada, it's like a West Coast variety. Is yeah, what I always sure. understood it as, and, and yeah. that's kind of where they pioneered it. But I didn't know that there were other. I was under the assumption that it was Sierra Nevada that really started the research. I didn't know there were other ones. Yeah, there was a, the other ones that kind of got it going. But yeah, once Sierra Nevada really sunk their teeth into it, that's when it really started to take off. So, so with the name Citra Hops, you may have some assumptions about what you're getting from it, and you're not going to be wrong. So, so according to the article I found on Kegerator.com. Citra hops lends a wide range of delicate fruity characteristics, including wonderful aromas of flavors of lime, grapefruit, bright orange, mango, mm-hmm. lychee, and gooseberry. So uh, now those last couple, that I mean, that's really refined right there. I, I don't necessarily pick up those with these hops, but the citrus ones, the grapefruit, the orange, those really take off with this variety. So definitely use as a flavoring and aroma hop. Uh, mm-hmm. Brewers that have tried to use it as a bittering hop, it, it can be really intense. So, mm-hmm. um, and with the one style of beer that Sierra Nevada makes with this one, you can definitely tell that bittering. Um, it's very common in American pale ales, American IPAs, mm-hmm. double IPAs, and then amber ales are starting to use them a little bit more as well. Which um, I'm, I'm not finding amber ale to be a, a compatible one in my opinion because I like that you get the amber ales but more earthy than see yeah. so these are going to be con- they're, they're not going to be the exclusive hop in an amber ale uh, i don't think I, I just feel like the citra hop with the beers that that it's mostly in is a tends to be on the lighter side than like an and like an amber you're right i think earthy is a great way to but that, they, who knows so popular beers ones that you and i have had ones that a lot of people have had Sierra Nevada's Torpedo Extra IPA, that one of my absolute favorites, that one features the the Citra hops. Well, and then Hoptimum, Sierra Nevada's Triple IPA, the 100 IBU Monster, that Mm -hmm. one has usually a lot of Citra hops in it. And then you mentioned Day Shoots, their Fresh Squeezed IPA is mostly Citra hops. And then uh, I found a handful of other ones. Uh, The one that I know some people may know is Green Flash out of San Diego. They make what yes. we call Citrus Session. That is just, that's a Session IPA. So it's only like mm-hmm. 4% ABV and then it's all Citra hops. So I have not wow. had that one. I need to find that now because. I feel like I've really seen good. it. I feel like I've seen it and I probably saw it in San Diego. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I'm going to always go with it. A, a Citra to me is is one of the best ones. Yeah, you no, know, it's, any, the, the flavors citra. that come out of Citra hops are incredible. So, and then when you start pairing it, with other hop varieties like Cascade or Simcoe or Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, then you start getting all these combinations of flavors right. um, and that citrus just really shines through from that hop variety. And it's, it's really good. So 
But yeah, so we're going to be looking at a lot more hop varieties as we do these because now it it's a rabbit hole I fell into and it's <laughs> it's really fun because it's it's kind of like you think about brewing's been around for thousands of years and yep. hops have been used in brewing now for hundreds of years and before it was like, oh, here's this plant that gives beer a good flavor, let's just put it and now like the science behind like right. where they're basically right. like playing God with, with hops to get different flavors and bittering and everything. And it's just, it's really cool to look ahead. It's, it's similar to those different grape varieties when you talk about wine or different, you know, when you talk about whiskey or anything like that. So no, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about this because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, no. And this is, I I've had some experience with some of the beer styles and then you just learn a little bit more about them. But yeah, the, this is a very, very vague category for me is learning about these hops. <laughs> so it's been fun on these couple here. So. Awesome. Well, stay tuned for another episode because we're going to talk some more hops. And Nick, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, you know, on the other side of the world, as we're all trying to do the math, yeah. I'm like nine. I can never remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. It was great. Great uh, hanging out with you guys for this for this hour. And uh, yeah, awesome. Awesome. All right. And listeners, thank you for hanging out with us yep. for this last hour. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Right on.